I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things, because your story has power. Hey, so this one is the result of some chatter beginning about Ordinary Grit and about these stories. So people are starting to come to me and tell me that they have somebody that I need to talk to, or they're telling their friends, and it's getting back to me. So this is one that I did not know, somebody that I was not already in a relationship with, but got introduced and just really fell in love with her story and really just her joy and her fight for her faith. She has seen a lot of hard things, a lot of grief. Things don't just stop happening because you went through one hard thing. And she is just this example of God bringing her back to him and continuing to walk that out and continuing to fight for that. It's just really encouraging and pushing it. It it exhorts me. So I hope it does you. Please welcome my friend, Emily. Okay, Miss Emily, we have kind of, you're kind of one of my first like really strangers, maybe not, but kind of you are, we were not people that met when we met at a coffee shop. We weren't even sure what we looked like. So, well, I knew what I looked like, but I didn't know what you looked like. So we are because of the podcast and because of now a little bit more chatter about, Hey, I know people who have a story that's worth hearing. I'm getting more and more of, Hey, you should meet, Hey, you should meet this person. And you were one of those. So we met in a coffee shop and talked about your story and my story and really kind of joked around about how we could easily be friends. So that, that it was like one of those, I don't know why we, we should, we should have hung out before the, the podcast. So anyway, I just want to give you an opportunity. You can start where you want, but let's just kind of talk through, you have a really like what's meaty. And maybe that's just a nice way of saying that you have a lot of different pieces to what could be viewed as hard, but also really beautiful pieces. And so you have an adoption story, you have grief stories, you have, you know, some momming stories that I just want us to, to allow God to help other people think through, okay, she, she did that, or she made it through that, or maybe moms go, Hey, she survived that. And and so my kids are going to be okay too, or whatever that is. So start wherever you want. You're actually not originally from the Kansas city area. So you can kind of talk through growing up and all of that. Yeah. So I grew up in Iowa. I was adopted when I was very young. I was in foster care for a little bit of time. I actually was in a foster care home that was now my parents, but it was only like three minutes away from where my birth parents lived. You lived in a foster like home where we don't, we don't really do orphanages in the U S anymore, but this looked Mm -hmm. more like There was a lot of foster kids in the, in the same place. Is that what you're saying? Um, No, it was, it was just my, my adopted brother and me. So it was just us two, um, but my parents still were foster parents, but they didn't receive any other kids after they adopted both of us. So it's just foster care before you're adopted, essentially. I gotcha. Do you recall other foster homes? Prior to that, do you remember? No. Okay. I was just in, I was just in one and they ended up adopting me. Okay. And how old were you when they adopted you? I was like two and a half when they adopted me and I was in foster care 15 months. So it was pretty, 
Okay. Pretty shortly after then I was adopted, they did give my birth parents an opportunity to do what they needed to do to get me back. And then the court decided that I needed to be adopted. So okay. Okay. kind of where, cool. where my story goes from there. Okay. So then you grew up in a home with knowing that your brother was also adopted and that you were uh, not biologically theirs, but how did they talk about that? Yeah. So my parents were always really good about just telling us that we were really special. Um, We were chosen. So I was always aware that I was adopted since I was very young growing up. You know, I always would tell my friends like I was chosen. And so it was just really special um, in that area. And then my brother was adopted when he was a when he was a baby. He had a traumatic brain injury. So I mean, some of growing up was very difficult with him. He required a lot more attention, but then he also, you know, gave me tools and where I am today. He kind of showed me what profession I wanted to be in and that's in mental health. So there were some positive things that grew out of that as well. And so you, you were close with him. I mean, you didn't really grow up and resent him, but you just recognized that there was, I mean, he required a different level of care than you did growing up. Yes. Yes. And I would say I was more like motherly to him. Like I wanted to help him out. I, you know, we, I always advocated for him. Um, We were only two years apart. So we were in school together. So, you know, there were times where kids were bullying him and um, we would always just kind of stick together um, and advocate for each other. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of my favorite things is just being able to advocate for him and help him where he needs it as well. Yeah. And you learned really probably pretty young how important that advocacy is and um, was when he was young. So, okay. Yeah. You grew up. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I grew up. You know, he always required more attention than me. I kind of just did my own thing. I was in a lot of sports growing up. I was was pretty busy, so I didn't require as much attention. I got good grades. You know, my parents were super loving. We went to church every Sunday, like three times a Sunday, and then every Wednesday. So I was, you know, I grew up in a church when I was younger. I didn't really grasp the importance. I was just there for social, but I had that foundation of God. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really important in my story is having that foundation of God has really helped me through a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of sometimes reference like a tool belt and sometimes you're putting things in a tool belt that you don't have any idea what you're going to do with this particular tool until things happen in life. And then you're like, gosh, I'm so glad that I had all this, this time preparing and gathering these tools because now I really have to use them. So yeah, that's, that's good. That foundation is, is good. Okay. So then what did the season of moving, whether it's graduating or moving, moving out, or what did those next seasons look like? Yeah. So I ended up graduating high school. I, when I graduated high school, uh, my birth mom actually came to my graduation. Um, That was a very difficult time for me. And I ended up writing letters back and forth to my 
birth brother. He's a half, he was a half brother. Um, we were writing letters back and forth to each other, getting to know each other. And then right before I went off to college, I got a letter or a phone call. I can't recall which one it was from his wife at the time telling me that he had ended up passing away. We were getting ready to meet each other. I was really intrigued by that, that I had other siblings that were from the same birth parents. I didn't necessarily want a continuous relationship with my birth parents, but I thought it was really cool that I had siblings, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to his funeral and that's kind of where I met my birth father as well. And no words were really exchanged there much. Then I went off to college and I went to a small community college there And while I was at college, it was kind of odd because I was just, you know, hanging out with a couple of my friends and this guy came up to me and he was the RA at the time. And he was like, Hey, do you know this person? And it was my full birth brother that he was talking about. And the only reason I knew that was because my half brother had written in the letter, the names of my siblings. Hmm. And so I was like, I mean, I guess I do. Like, I don't really know him, but I know of his name. And he's like, well, I go to church with him. And I was like, oh, okay. And so after that, we kind of connected. He found me on Facebook. He was, he's three years younger than me. So that's kind of how we found each other that first year of college. We actually met a time. We met at a restaurant in my hometown. And that's kind of where I first gathered pictures of myself when I was a baby, which I had always wondered, you know, what I looked like when I was a baby. And so that was kind of, you know, an opening point to that. And my birth mom did come with him there, but my overall goal was just to meet him, see him, see if we had, you know, you always wonder, do you have any similarities? Do you look like each other? Do you have the same interests? Um, So that, that was intriguing to me. Did your, how did your um, adoptive parents feel about these connections? Yeah, my my dad is kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. My adoptive mom, she was like, I'll go with you. I'll support you. She was super supportive and she went along with me. I wouldn't have wanted her not to be there. She was super supportive. She just always, you know, wanted to remind us what kind of life we had. But then also this is your decision if you want a relationship with them at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of already knew that I was, was special. I did have a life that I may have not had before. So I didn't necessarily like, I wasn't just going to go jump and live with them. You had a great, I liked where I lived. I liked, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that interaction, that's the only time you, you met him Mm -hmm. at that time. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then I went on to my second year of college Um, and my second year of college, you know, we would have started in what August shortly after in September, I found out that my mom, so my adoptive mom, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and it was September 6th. It was actually um, my dad's birthday when we found out that she had cancer. Then we We were in Des Moines at one of the hospitals and, you know, they talked about her having a good case. If you, if there's a good case of cancer, Um, it was a good case of cancer and she would be okay. So at the time I like really didn't think about it. I thought, oh, 
you know, moms don't die. Like they don't die at this age. I mean, it didn't really, you know, I had, I had grandparents still. So it really didn't hit me that someone could, could die at a young age. Her journey was very short with cancer. Um, It was very quick and it was very inconsistent. I would say, you know, some days she was really good and she was doing well. She was, you know, striving and thriving and, Then, you know, she came home for a short night and during that night, her stitches ended up coming open. She was then life lighted back to the hospital and then that's where she stayed. So she was in the hospital from September 6th until um, she passed away on November 2nd. So it was a very short, a short time. So yeah, yeah, she had the surgery. She was, you know, she was she was healing and she was doing well. She had, I think, two rounds of chemo and that, that was very challenging for her as well as challenging for my family. You know, she didn't remember who I was. Um, and that was really challenging. And that was kind of, you know, the moment where I was like, oh man, this is, this is real, but I hadn't really experienced, you know, seeing someone slowly pass away and, that was very difficult for me. There was one night, it was actually, little did I know, it was the last, my last words with her. But there was a moment where I was, all of us were in the, in the hallway, we were sleeping, there wasn't, you know, a lot of places to sleep in the ICU area. And we were all, all laying down, we were all asleep. And it was early, early in the morning, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. And I just like, woke up and I was like, oh my goodness, I have to, I have to go in and talk to my mom. And it just hit me that I had to go in there. And so I went in there and I talked to her and she said, she loved me. And I said, I loved her. And, you know, I sat with her and I sat with her and those ended up being our last words together. And at the time I was like, oh man, that was like, how did that happen? Like, how did I wake up? And looking back, you know, even to this day, I tell this story and people get goosebumps. It was definitely a God moment. Like there's no way, no way that, you know, you just wake up out of your sleep and you're like, Oh, I need to go see, you know, I need to go Mm -hmm. do this. I really think that God pushed me. And he was like, this is your last moments with her. I mean, those are so, those moments were so special that I, you know, think about them regularly to this day. Yeah. With when you're talking about people sleeping in the in the ICU, it made me wonder. You know, your brother. I don't know the extent of his brain injury, and 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 so, do you have the ability to walk these things out together? Does he have the emotional and and mental capacity to be a sibling that that experienced some of the same loss, or is is I I don't like I like I said I don't know the level of his injury, but yeah. So he actually he understood everything. Um, he actually wasn't there at the hospital at the time he was somewhere else. So he didn't get to experience that specific, you know, times he talked to her on the phone regularly, um, but he didn't get to experience that to that extent, I guess, but he he definitely understood. He very high functioning brain injury, definitely understood all of that. Okay. So you kind of are able to do some of that together. And then obviously your dad, walking, walking through that. I mean, did you, did your relationship with him change quite a bit in that? 
Yeah. So I, you know, growing up, um, he was always my dad. I always did stuff with him as I got older, you know, he was always supportive, but I would say, you know, I was a mommy's girl and I was really close to my mom. We would go shopping. We would do those types of things. So, um, we were kind of more or less like alike and we would, butt butt heads at times, but as you know, my mom passed away, there was a a few months where it was like, oh, this is so hard because it became kind of like a comparing game. Like I hurt worse than you. You didn't experience this with her. And I just had to have a come to Jesus talk with him. And sometimes even to this day, we discuss it. Like you loved her and you loved her for a very long time. They were married. My mom was 17 and he was 21, I think, when they got married. So she was very, very young when they got married. They and so that together. was his first love. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so just kind of that comparing, but now to this day, I mean, he's my best friend. I talk to him about, you know, everything that I would talk to my mom about. So again, sometimes I look at it like, we, you know, we need each other. We only have each other. And so we have to stick, stick together. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay. And so really, I mean, you guys, none of you had real preparation. I mean, that I think, I think my story of loss is fast. Yours is really fast and you were young. So you, Mm -hmm. did you go back to college and try to keep moving in that direction or did you come home? What does that look like? Yeah. So I actually worked all the way through. I was working as well as going to school. I didn't go to school on Fridays. So kind of what my, for those couple months, what it looked like was I would go to school on Monday. I would stay with a friend on our couch, which is not something you're supposed to do, just sleeping in people's dorms. But um, I stayed with a friend and then I went to school on Tuesday and Thursday. And then on Friday, I would drive from Ottumwa to Des Moines. So it was like, I think like an hour and a half, two hours I would stay with the night with my mom and then I would drive back to my hometown, which then again was an hour and a half. I would mm-hmm. work because I needed gas money and then I would just do it again. I would drive back up to school. So I was going to school. I ended up, I had to drop one class. It, I was never very good at math anyways. I had to drop math and then I took it that summer, but that's the only, I wasn't behind, I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. I just had to take a couple extra classes in the summer to kind of make up for that math class. Yeah. But I just kept on going. I wouldn't say that it wasn't, it wasn't easier at all, but I wasn't home. I wasn't in her space to be constantly reminded of her. So I just tried to keep busy. I actually don't know that I've ever had a moment to be like, oh, I'm grieving. Um, I just feel like it's an ongoing journey. You know, to me, processes end. So it's not a grieving process. It's a journey. Um, and it continues and it continues and it comes mm-hmm. up at, at different times in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we can, we'll come back to that a little bit Well, about how, how grief kind of manifests itself. Mm-hmm. We, I think there's some things to touch on there, but your, your story did not stop there. So I don't want to stop you yet if you want to. Yeah. So that, I believe it was that. So 2011 was when my mom passed away November 2nd and then 2012, okay. I think it was like April. So kind of in the same year, essentially at college, I got a call from my full brother and he was disclosing to me that 
our birth father was in the hospital and he had asked me, you know, can you please come like to the hospital? And like, I was like, I cannot, I thought about it. You know, will I regret it? Will I regret not seeing him? But I just kept coming back to like, I don't really have a relationship with him. You know, I don't really know him. That would be kind of like going to the hospital and just hanging out with a stranger while they're kind of on their deathbed and not to be not empathetic in that moment because I, I checked in on him because he did have a relationship with our birth father, but I did not. And so that was hard for me to kind of wrap my head around going to a hospital and saying goodbye in those moments. So he did end up passing away. He too, I believe had cancer. So he, he ended up passing away. And after that, I kept contact with my birth brother continuously, you know, checked in with them. And then he had a daughter. I can't remember what year it, year it was, but he had a daughter and I ended up rekindling kind of our relationship because we had lost touch for a while. And I had went up there and met his daughter and his girlfriend for the first time. So that's kind of where I guess that piece okay. kind of is, well, and now, I guess. Maybe, maybe had the timing been different, but because you were walking through loss of mm-hmm. someone so close and something so right. hard, I think it's really, there, there are just times when it is not not something we have to do. Like, you know, you didn't have to walk through that as closely. You you had a choice. And so, yeah, I, th- those wounds are just different to, to have to decide in that moment. What, what can I handle? What is necessary? Right. What's my job? Like, what's my role in this? And mm-hmm. so, so as this is happening, let's, I mean, the loss of your, of your mom and then navigating without her, At what point Mm -hmm. did you go, okay, I'm so glad that I have a foundation of faith here. Did that happen yet? Or was it even later? It took a very long time. It actually took me until I was pregnant with my daughter. So 2019, that was a long time looking back. I had moved here to Kansas um, in 2017 and I like hadn't found a church. I had always, you know, I went to church. I grew up in a church. As I got older, that was really important to me to go to church. But then I had kind of lost it. I hadn't gone to church. It wasn't, I don't know, as crucial maybe to go to church, but I was still worshiping in my home. I was still praying. Mm -hmm. And so it was 2019. I was sitting in church and the pastor at Antioch Church, um, he was talking about having a foundation. And he had given me, you know, that foundation since I was younger. And he was talking about, you know, if we don't have that foundation in these different instances come up and different scenarios, you know, like people, you know, people dying that can really break someone completely down and you can turn to things, drugs or turn to evil things rather than turning back to him. And I think that's where it hit me that I was like, I do have the foundation of God. I still have him. And he's been with me through anger. I was so mad at God for taking my mom for so long. I mean, until 2019, where I was like, oh, wait, this isn't God. You know, God is not this mean person that took my mom. So that's where it really hit me that I had the foundation of God and I could continue growing in him. And 
And then I wanted, you know, as I was pregnant, I wanted to teach my daughter about God. My mom was such a godly woman, like anybody that, you know, she worked at a a little motel in the town and anybody that she came across, she was witnessing to. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how many people have I witnessed to? How many people can I, not only am I being more like God, but can I be more like my mom and witness to people and strive to be this, you know, Christian lady that my mom was. Yeah. Such, such a wonderful woman though. No, that's good. Eight years of being angry is a long time. And Mm -hmm. you're right. People do like turn to other things, try to, we, sometimes we even, uh, sometimes it's angry. Sometimes anger is the the crutch because it's easier to be angry than it is to feel the, the sad but also yes. like you could have turned to other things. You, I mean, it, it could have really gone differently. Right. How did anger mm-hmm. manifest itself? Did you lean on whether it was self-reliance or, I mean, did, did you find yourself? What, what does that look like? If you were talking to someone else about maybe, maybe how to do it differently in those eight years, it, obviously God's timing is perfect in the way he wrote your story it is perfect. And he kept you and held, held you. And you can see that now, but sometimes in our, our hindsight can teach someone else. What would you say about that season? That's a long season of anger. I would say that, you know, I always continued to have a positive outlook, but then inside I was always like so angry and I like, couldn't get over the fact that my mom was gone. She was like really gone. And I would say the season, the season of being angry, like being so angry where you barely can manage it, it doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, your journey of grief that lasts forever, but mm-hmm. the anger doesn't, does not last forever. And so just understanding yourself and also giving yourself that time. I never really gave myself mm-hmm. that time because I was so busy with school and then I went to, um, to get my bachelor's degree. So I was, I was just always so busy that I didn't have the opportunity to just sit and really think about those times with my mom. I would, yeah, I would say, you know, I wish I would have done something sooner to recognize her every year. I think that that's super important on your grieving journey. And, you know, we kind of grief hits you in waves it sometimes hits you really, really hard. It'll knock you off your feet. Mm-hmm. Other times it's this little tickle of water on your feet that just kind of reminds you, you know, you see something like, oh, this favorite chocolate that my mom used to eat. And I see that, or, you know, the smell of something that's just like a little, little wave. But then I had my daughter and that just like hit me hard. I had to do it, you know, without her. And we can come back to that as well. I think there's a little yeah. bit in between then. Yeah. So I, I just think grief just hits you in different ways at different yeah. times in your seasons. Yeah. And then maybe you didn't even realize you were mad at God until you weren't anymore. And then you're like, right. oh, <laughs> yes. this is what this can feel like because I realize this is a broken fallen world and we're not supposed right. to live here forever. Right. It's not just like doling out heartbreak. But instead we're going to have brokenness. It's a, it's a broken, broken place and the enemy has dominion here. So hard things happen. And so whether it took eight years or eight minutes, I guess you, God was, God was writing something good and 
And then once you realized it was gone, it was like, oh, okay, well, this is what it can look like to trust him and not be mad at him. And, and, and let me, he can handle our anger. It isn't, it isn't that we're not allowed to be angry with him or that, that it's wrong. I mean, we're going to have moments of, I mean, my story is, is different in that I had a little bit of a little bit more preparation and I still, the enemy still um, sneaks up on you and I realize I'm angry about things. Sometimes I'm mad at Scott and that's really dumb and unproductive, but it's just a, in some ways I found myself at the beginning, it's easier to be mad at like the guy that dumped you than it is to figure out how to process that. I'm just so sad that this is how this went. And so you almost wish that you could be mad. And so I I, I get all of anger is not wrong in that, in, in, in the, in the journey at all, but it is counterproductive sometimes. And so if we can recognize, okay, why do I feel this way? And what am I really mad at? Like what, Mm -hmm. what, where can I put this? What can I do with this? That, that helps me be able to function normally and healthily have healthy relationships around me, but also like put it somewhere and use it for good and, and be able to talk this. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is just recognition, recognizing your feelings. I think also for the longest time, I would always think in my head like, oh, there's there's someone way worse than me in this world that has lost both of their parents. Oh, there's someone way worse that has, you know, lost all of their siblings and their parents. And it's it's not comparing. And I, I think I did that to myself. So I would make myself maybe feel better that. I wasn't alone, but it also took away from that recognition of I am hurting and I do need to recognize my feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and just have moments that are are just hard. So, so we can, we started to kind of go here, but we talked about seasons when we met and that I, I've had to have this conversation recently with a teenager in my house, but also with myself there things come in seasons where if if you can recognize, like we're talking about, if you can go, okay, I am starting to see that in September, I feel this way, or I even saw this in one of my, one of my kids. And it took me years. It took me a long time to be like, why is December so bad? And I had to go research and figure that out. And so now that I see it, I recognize it in me. And I'm my my teenager will say, you know, why do I, why do I feel this way? Or why is this? And it, and and I really think that in a way there is grief that like kind of hides in our body that then there are seasons where I just feel out of sorts or literal seasons, you know, because of something in a certain month or in a certain time period or, or, and then of course, holidays are difficult without someone that you lost or, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not always the season where something happened, but it's like trauma can get kind of stuck somewhere in our body where then I just feel physically feel out of sorts. And if I can go, okay, I know why. And, and it doesn't change the feelings. I still get sad. I'll tell you, I watched a movie last night that I thought was a love story about kids meeting on an airplane. And there's a a storyline that caught me so off guard. I like ugly cried. My my kids were saying goodnight and I'm like, don't watch this movie (laughs) because there were pieces, some great things, yeah, some, some hard things. And I'm right in my season two. I'm right in my like chemo, 
things were, things were about to get bad and, but we didn't know it. We were like holding on for dear life. And so I'm in mine too. Mine, mine is obviously goes longer, but like really starts about the same time as yours. So, I mean, can you talk about that or do you have any like mature thoughts then don't watch certain movies that I, you know, I don't have that mature thoughts about it, but. Right. (laughs) I would say, I mean, just touching on that a little bit, September to November is, is so difficult. And like you said, sometimes recognizing, you know, why, I mean, it takes a long time um, Mm -hmm. to recognize, but also my brother passed away in September of 2018. And so it's like, man, does anything want to happen? You know, anything Anything good in September September to November. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of, you know, the season it brought up again, I'm like, man, what's going on, God, you know, and that was before, you know, like we talked about before I was still angry. And that season was really difficult for me too. then the season of having my daughter, again, was very difficult. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. First time mom here in Kansas didn't really have any support. I'm doing this by myself. Um, I had a really, really difficult birth. I had an emergency C-section and no one was in the room with me. I have no idea what happened to my body at the time. My, my boyfriend was there afterwards, but you know, and was with her. I had her at three, 3 AM around 3 AM and didn't meet her until 8 AM. And that's like, you know, it brings it up again, that the grief of like, oh my goodness, you know, where's my mom. And I just remember, you know, when I was going back into for my emergency C-section, everything was kind of a blur, but I kept telling God, I'm like, God, you wouldn't take someone else from me. Would you, you wouldn't take, you know, someone that you gave me, you wouldn't take her away from me. And, you know, and that was, that was a whole different type of, you know, grieving and, and missing my mom and missing those moments, you know, your mom comes and stays with you for a week at a time and, you know, takes care of your baby. And all of my friends have had that, you know, yeah. and that part of me was like a little, a little jealous, like, oh, your mom gets to be with you in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. You know, that must be nice. And just, you know, that was, that was one of those seasons that was very, very difficult for me and still continues to be diff- maybe one of the most difficult seasons as my daughter, you know, gets older. She asks about her grandma. I try to like, you know, continue to talk about her. Um, I don't, I haven't really like shared, you know, moments. She's, she just turned four. So a year and a half ago, you know, she would, she pulled out a picture of her and would say, grandma, grandma. And that was striking again. Mm-hmm. And then I had this picture drawn of my mom holding th- my daughter. And so my daughter thinks like she really met her and maybe she did. I don't know, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but she talks about her all the time. And, you know, there was, there was one time we were in a grocery store and this is where it was like, oh, okay. She was talking about her and she was telling me like what my mom liked, what her grandma liked, what she liked to do. And I was like, okay, this is starting to get a little scary because it was, it was true. Those things were true. And I'm like, but how did you know these things? Mm -hmm. And so I really, truly think, you know, God has sent my daughter to help me heal, to help me remember my mom. Like, even if some of this stuff is like, what 
maybe that's not true or maybe it is true. It still gives me that life and it still gives me that opportunity to heal and to remember in a happy time, in a happy environment. You know, my daughter, she's she's only four. She's so innocent. She, you know, she really, really doesn't doesn't know much about, you know, her grandma, but she talks about her all the time. Talks about that, you know, she's in heaven at this moment. She feels like it may be just a place and that she can come and see, see her whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she does, maybe she does see her, maybe <laughs> God does send, you know, signs down to her, but that's been a difficult season. It has been a difficult season, but it's also been the best season. I would say. How do you work through, how do I be a mom without my mom? How do I, I mean, what does that look like? Do you and the Lord hash that out or are you a reader? Do you have friends that, what, what, how do you work through those moments of like, I mean, I have real honest conversation with the Lord about things I do not know how to do that he left me in this situation. So he better teach me, you know? So how do you work (laughs) through some of that? I would say the same thing, like a lot of prayer, you know, at three felt very hard just because they're starting to talk back to you. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, please give me the patience to, you know, work through this. How do I work through this? And there are times where I want to call my mom. I want to celebrate those moments of those milestones with her. I try to like look at my friends for that instead. It took me a long time to grow a community here of moms. And I would just say if you know, you are a mom that doesn't have a mom um, on earth, I would say do your best to try to get out there. Um, There are good women, there are good moms that Mm -hmm. are healthy leaders, godly leaders. Mm -hmm. And that has really, really helped me. That's really helped me, you know, lean on people, you know, and it's also helped my postpartum anxiety as well to get out there and really reach other mothers. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. I think it's good advice, whether you have your mom on earth, um, mm-hmm. cause I have a great mom on, that's here. Yeah. And I mean, like would be lost without my parents and in, in my story, not just yeah. in adopting lots of kids, but even in, in doing what feels like alone. And I, you know, nobody can see my quotes, but it, right. I know I'm not alone, but it so much feels more alone in grief. And some of that's a lie from the enemy. And some of it's just the feelings process, the, 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 the jumbled up feelings, but either way, right. there is a real beauty and provision in there being other moms, other women, mm-hmm other, other godly people that whether it's looking at relationships that have been together longer, you know, people that have been married a long time or people that made mistakes along the way, or gosh, um, the last podcast that went live was Scott's dad and the story of, you know, God meeting him alone in a storeroom changed the trajectory of, of the family. I wanted all of the grandkids to listen to that and to listen to hard things about marriage. And so whether it's other adoptive moms for me, or it's just other women trying to do what God wants them to do and be who God's asking them to be. 
there is just reason for that. And you see that all over scripture. There was men walking with other men and all, all these letters. Paul was, Paul was walking it out and the, the disciples and the apostles were walking it out with other people. And so I think that's really godly counsel, whether your mom is on this planet or not mm-hmm. is it's valuable for us to learn from other people. Sometimes if I can learn from their mistakes and not have to make them the same way, if I can, and not, not in judgment, but just in, okay, I saw that the, that was very difficult at the way that you handled that. So I'm going to try to navigate that differently, or you maybe leaned on a, not you, but someone may have leaned on a substance Mm -hmm. or tried to work through it a certain way and no, no judgment. But I'm going to then be real cognizant of drinking kombucha in the bathtub instead of wine <laughs> on my worst day, you know, yes. whatever yes. it is, if, if I can learn from other people's mistakes, instead of maybe making all of them myself, I make plenty myself. I think that's, that's just really wise counsel. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. So then now as you're, I mean, you've, you've had a lot of different kinds of loss and, and even some like some real confusion or could have been confusion about your identity and am I my DNA or am I the family that raised me? Or, I mean, all of that, where, where would you say, I mean, one, you said you found some kind of purpose in, in your job, but how would you say you, you landed on faith identity, you know, moving forward, whether it's vocationally with your job or, uh, you know, what, what's your, I don't know, your, your space now. Yeah. I would. I would say, you know, like we were talking about, you know, the different seasons, you know, I recently lost my dream job at the end of August and that kind of gave me the opportunity to, again, find myself, find what I'm really interested in. My daughter started school. I have always worked from home and been home with her. So this is my really, honestly, my start of my journey is is now. And I'm just starting to feel kind of like a whole person. I feel more, I feel more like myself, I would say, and learning to lean on God, really diving into the scripture and not only, you know, having a relationship with him, but getting to know God, getting to really know him and digging into his word. I've really grown to enjoy that rather than feeling like I have to. Because there's so many things that God has has done for me. So I would say I'm just I'm just getting to know who I am, I would say now. Yeah, no, and that's good. I think that that is, I think we 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 talk about how that happens in, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, that's when they're mm-hmm. they're figuring that out. And I and I do think that's those are pivotal moments. Don't get me wrong. But right. then I think that we we have other forks in the road over and over where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, which way are we going to go? Are we going to, are we going to follow him? Are we going to trust him at this point? And, and, and who am I going to be? And I think we run into a lot of thirties, twenties, 50 year old women that are is still, you know, are having an identity crisis. And, and I know we, we mm-hmm. act like it's, it's men who have the, you know, they have it in their fifties and they go get a 20 year old yeah. wife or something. But the reality is if, if we yeah. do not know who we are in Christ, we're forever going to be having mm-hmm. an identity crisis because things change. And, and, and if who you're married to is your identity, if your kids are your identity, if your job is your identity, mm-hmm. all of that changes. It, it, it can be taken quickly. It can be taken slowly. It, 
right. it, it can, it's all subject to change. And so who we are, um, has to go back to who God says we are. And how do we know that if we don't know what his word says about who we are? So it's, it's not false, any fault of exactly. yours that you're just re refining that again, you're, you're doing exactly the right things where you're, yeah. you know, he's meeting you where you're at. He's so kind in that. And I, and I know it's, some of this is a choice and, and perspective that it's his kindness that he woke you up at 3am so that you could say goodbye. And, and it's his kindness that, that your daughter talks about her. And you, we can look at that as, as mean, these are hard things. But I also, I choose to see his goodness and his kindness in, in things that, that are hard because again, the more I know him, the more I understand his character and and then his aim isn't to hurt me, that that his aim is to know me and to pull me close to him. So, yeah, I think that's the, you know, the main thing about your grief journey. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Oh, for sure. Okay. So what else? I mean, you have such a, there's just so much grit and so much really joy. I wish people could see you because you do have such, there's such, you know, just a joy and uh, your countenance is, is good and healthy. And I know people can see that. I mean, is there anything, what, what else would you, would you say that, you know, if you could give your, your elevator speech on, on grit or survive? I would just say, keep on going. Don't stop. Keep on doing what you feel that you need. Don't let anyone else run your grief journey um, because it's yours and it's very personal and you're in charge of it. So I would take the time if you need the time and don't rush your journey Yeah, because it will forever continue. Mm -hmm. That's good. Hey, thank you. Really, truly like thanks for being honest and just the transparency. And I think it's, I think it's good. I think you'll be surprised that it isn't, there's never going to be somebody with your exact same story that goes, Oh, well me too. But there are going to be people who hear just a piece of themselves or a piece of their daughter or a piece of someone that they love and go, okay, I get it now. Or I understand that a little bit better because you were willing to talk about things that, that even later still kind of make you misty eyed. So I really, really appreciate your time and it's going to be good. God's going to use it. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at ordinarygrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at ordinarygritpodcast to get to know me and my guests.